Um, I'm reminded of a study that was done in uh, mid-2008 by um, the Pew Foundation, and it actually um, was the largest study that's ever been done on religious belief in the United States of America. What that study found, um, the Washington Post released the results of the study in June of 08, and um, they found that 92% of people in the United States who were surveyed believe in God or some sort of universal spirit or a higher power of some sort. 92% from all backgrounds, walks of life. And one of the things that totally tripped me out about the survey, which I still don't understand, is that one in five atheists said that they believe in God or a higher power. And I thought, kind of, if you're an atheist, you don't believe. But anyway, hey, not, I didn't do the study, so just reading the results. But 92% uh, is pretty amazing to me, considering, like, you know, we've just been through elections this past Tuesday. We can't agree on anything. We can't get 92% consensus on anything, healthcare, politics. I mean, you name it. We, we, so um, I think it's pretty, pretty amazing that uh, we can, almost all of us can agree that there is something beyond ourselves. And um, so while almost all of us believe in God or a higher power, um, you know, there's a lot of confusion, even if we do believe in God, of who exactly God is or, you know, how God feels about us or what God is really like. Those types of things are much harder to figure out. And um, I know that for me, even uh, as someone who is a pastor of a church, um, even I go through phases like, you know, I kind of feel like, okay, I've got God kind of figured out, so to speak, and then something will happen to me, and it'll just hit me out of left field, and all of a sudden I'm back questioning, yeah, God, who are you, and what are you like, and where are you, you know, in this situation, or whatever. So um, what I want to do this morning is um, is to take a look at um, the Gospel of John. If you brought your Bible, I want you to turn. It's the fourth book of the New Testament, and we're going to look at John chapter 14, and what we can learn about what Jesus tells us about who God is. So um, before we uh, jump in this morning, I'll just ask you to bow your head with me. God, uh, thank you for allowing us to gather in this place this morning. Uh, God, we come uh, from all backgrounds and walks of life. And um, uh, Lord, uh, we come just from so many different places. But the thing that unifies just almost all of us in this room is that we do believe in you. And uh, we are here trying to learn more about who you are. So help us as we turn to the Bible, and uh, that might help it to uh, point point the way closer to you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so I want to set the stage for you guys. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we we have an outline on your bulletin, that blue bulletin. It's on the back. You'll also find the words up on the screen here in just a few minutes. But basically what's happening in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, is that Jesus is sitting down and he's having dinner with his disciples, his 12 closest followers. And um, it's the last night that Jesus is going to be with his disciples before he is arrested and crucified. And so as he's sitting with his disciples, um, and he's, he's talked about this before, okay, that, that he ultimately is going to have to be killed and that that is part of God's plan for redemption of mankind and for all the sin and everything else in the world. And so he's been talking about it before, but now he really is coming strong and he's explaining to his disciples, listen, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. And this is the plan, God's plan 
for the world. And then he goes on and he says, and one of you 12 in this room is going to betray me, is going to turn against me, is going to turn me in and be part of the, one of the catalysts for, for me um, being arrested. And uh, at this point, Peter, who is one of the 12, he's kind of like the leader. And, uh, you know, he's like that alpha male in the group who's just got to stand up and he's the first one to speak, you know, puts his foot in his mouth more often than not. And he just stands up and he goes, no way, Jesus, you know, um, I'm going to go with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus looks at him and he goes, hey, Peter, this very night, you're going to deny me three times. Just totally. I mean, can you imagine what the room is like? These 12 guys, I mean, you know, they've been with Jesus for years, you guys, okay? They've seen incredible stuff. They've seen him, you know, calm storms. They've seen him feed tens of thousands of people with just a couple of loaves and fish. They've seen him raise people from the dead. They've seen him teach with such incredible authority. The Bible says that the people were just in awe. So they've seen all this incredible stuff. And now Jesus is saying, kind of at this pinnacle moment, he's saying, and guess what, guys? It's all going to hit the fan now. You know, it's all, it's all coming to a grinding halt. And basically, Jesus is telling them this so that when these things actually do play out, they'll know, oh, you know, it's just like he said he predicted these things would happen. So he's basically saying it so that his disciples would know he wasn't just some guy making this stuff up, but that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. And so, anyway, you've got this room, you've got these guys, and they're like, man, this is not how it's supposed to end. And, um, and they're, I think it's safe to say that at this point in the story, the disciples are freaking out. Okay, They are just totally freaked out. And so here's where we pick it up in John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says to, to these guys, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. So many of us in that boat this morning. You believe in God. And then he says, but you've got to also believe in me. You've got to also believe in me. Now, this would be so difficult for these disciples. Okay, they've already believed in God, but to believe in Jesus was a whole different leap. And here's why it would be so difficult. Because this is not the way the story is supposed to end. You know, um, in my house, I have, I have three kids. I have a daughter, Allison, who's six. My son, Timmy, is three and a half. And then I have a, another daughter, Juliet, who is a year and a half. And um, they kind of go through these phases with, like, TV shows and movies and stuff. And there's this movie that came out a few years ago, uh, The Incredibles. It's a Disney movie. Many of you guys have heard of it, right? So um, my kids are absolutely crazy about The Incredibles in our house. Like, everything is about The Incredibles. When you ask them what they want to watch, whatever, it's all about The Incredibles. And I, when I say crazy about The Incredibles, I mean they are crazy about The Incredibles. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean... This is like, this is actually what normal looks like in my house. Like, when I, when I come home from work and I, like, take out, off my work clothes, like, this is the kind of stuff that's going on in my living room. So now you have a mental, you have a mental picture of that. And, and so, you know, here's the thing. If you're not familiar with the movie, it's your classic, it's your classic, uh, you know, 
Disney movie, good guy, bad guy type of thing, right? And so there's this evil syndrome, and, and he's got this plan, and, you know, and then the Incredibles are this, like, family, and they've all got these superpowers, you know, and it works out great because i got a family of five, and it happens to be there's a family of five that are the Incredibles, so it's, like, totally perfect, all going on great. And so, you know, and they, they in the end, what happens? Who wins in the end of the Incredibles movie? Everybody knows the answer to this, even if you've never seen it. The good guys. This is a Disney movie. Come on. So, so you know, the, the Incredibles win. They save the day. Evil is defeated, you know? That's how the story's supposed to end, right? That's always how the story's supposed to end. So here are the disciples, you know? And um, if we can, t- can we take that off, Bobby? We, please. That was supposed to just stay up for a second. Take, take the shot down. I'm embarrassed enough. Okay. So, um, anyway... So here you've got the disciples, and they're like, you know, just imagine. Okay, so here's Jesus. Okay, now here's, you know, this is, it's all coming to a head. You know, we've got more opposition building, and this movement is growing, and everything's converging. And what I think they probably wanted Jesus to say was, okay, now here's what's going to happen, guys. I'm going to summon a whole band of angels. You know, and like those Romans that have been oppressing, you know, the Jewish people and all this stuff, like, we're just going to go and wipe them out. It's going to be amazing. And there's going to be, you know, we're going to, and there's just going to be tremendous healing and like everything's going to, and the whole world is going to be fixed and healed. I mean, that, if you're the son of God, right, that's what the disciples are waiting here. If this is the big finish, it's supposed to end with the good guys winning, right? With Jesus coming out victorious. And instead, Jesus is looking at these 12 guys and he says, you know what? It's not going to end that way. I'm actually going to be arrested. I'm going to be totally silent before my enemies. And then they're going to beat me and they're going to nail me to a cross. And I'm going to die because that is the way that, that this plan is going to be carried out. That I'm dying as, as, as basically a payment for all the sin that's happened so that anyone who believes in me um, can, can basically have forgiveness of sins and can be made totally blameless and righteous before God. Now, you know, I beat the disciples up a lot. I don't know if you guys do when you're reading through these stories. I love just kind of laugh at the disciples. Oh, man, they're so stupid. Look at them. I can't believe it. But really, like, I, I think that Jesus is right on here where he says, you got to believe in me because it would have been so tremendously difficult. I don't know if I could have done better in that moment. I'm thinking, if you're really God, then make something awesome happen and overcome all this stuff instead of just dying. Anyway, so Jesus says, you got to believe in me. And then he goes on to say, trying to encourage his disciples a little bit, he says, guys, my father's house has many rooms. If that weren't so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and I'll take you with me to be with me that you also may be where I am. And then he says, and catch these words, he says, you know the way, you know the way to the place where I'm going. So Thomas pipes up, and Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? It says, Jesus responds, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way. See, what's going on here in this dialogue between uh, Thomas and Jesus is that uh, Thomas hears Jesus talking about this way, and you see, the way in, in the Greek text, we know that that word is the word hadas, H-O-D-O-S, hadas. And that word in the Greek literally is translated road or path 
or way. It's like a literal way that you go. And so Thomas is thinking, literally speaking, well, we don't know the way. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm speaking much in a much deeper way. You see, the deeper meaning of that word hadas, way, has to do, and catch this, this is important, has to do with a way of believing, with a way of thinking, with a way of conducting one's self. So when Jesus is saying, I'm the way, you know, they're hearing him say it literally like they're looking for a literal way that they're supposed to go. And he's saying, no, 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 guys. When I say I'm the way, what I'm saying is that the way to God, the way to God is by believing in me. The way to that abundant life, the way to truly living is thinking the way that I think, living life the way that I have lived, conducting yourself the way that I have conducted myself here on this earth. That's ultimately the way to God. The way to fulfillment is through me, believing in me, living the way that I have lived, kind of channeling Jesus, thinking the way Jesus thought, seeing the world the way Jesus would have seen it. That's what Jesus is after when he says that I am the way. And then he says nine words that today are probably more controversial than any other words that Jesus uh, has spoke as recorded in the Gospels. He says these words. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. You talk about a radical, exclusive, if I could say almost arrogant, no offense, God, but arrogant, you know, claim Here it is right here. No one comes to the Father except through me. I don't know if you've wrestled with those words before or that claim, but man, that is tough stuff to wrestle with. And um, I personally have spent a long time trying to wrestle with what does that mean? God, how does that work? What does that look like? Okay, How do do we make sense of that as a church? Um, And I got to tell you that those nine words are a whole sermon in and of themselves. And we really, to, to start to go down there, we, we don't even, we're, we're not even going to go there today. So if, if those nine words are words that have really like, that's like, yeah, I want to I hear more about that. Like, how do we make sense of that? You know, let's look at that. Um, we did a sermon on that last year. Um, in, and you can go on our website, trygrace.org, and completely free, you can download the message from March 22nd, 2009. March 22nd, 2009, the, the message was titled, What They Believed About Salvation. And I encourage you to do that if that's a statement that is really just difficult for you to swallow or, uh, you know, you're trying to make sense of that. But what I want to do is uh, I want to go on to verse 7, if we could. So Jesus continues, and he says to his disciples, and you gotta you got to remember the disciples and, and how well they knew Jesus. So he says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Huh. Did they really know Jesus? These guys have been walking with Jesus, living with Jesus for like three years. So, of course, they really knew Jesus. So he says, if you really know me, you'd know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Okay, so here is Jesus, and he's basically making this claim, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And then I just love Philip. Philip here is just, he's as much of a knucklehead as me, I think. Um, And Philip says, Lord, okay, that's great. Uh, Can you just show us the father, and then uh, that'll be enough for us. (laughs) <laughs> it's great. Uh, it's the kind of thing I think I might have said. But um, 
Anyway, basically, Philip's like, look, man, you're talking about the, the way, and like, you're talking these metaphors, and like, deep stuff, and, you know, and uh, can you just show us the Father, and then we'll be good? Like, what is all this talk about you and the Father, and all that stuff? So here's Jesus' reply. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? And, and think of how Jesus is thinking and feeling right here. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I mean, can you sense the frustration there from Jesus? I, I sense he's pretty frustrated, maybe a little disappointed. That's just how it strikes me. Maybe the text strikes you a little bit differently. Anyway, so I feel frustration and disappointment in Jesus' words, but I love his response. His response is, is so great. He continues in verse 10. Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves, the miracles themselves. Basically what Jesus is saying there is, guys, we have been together for years, okay? Think. That's what he's saying to them, okay? He's saying, think, guys. We've been together. You've seen this stuff firsthand, okay? You've seen me teach these crowds with such authority that everyone was just floored. They were so in awe because it was as if it came straight from God. It wasn't something that a human being would conjure up. You've seen me do all kinds of crazy, miraculous stuff. He's saying, guys, think, you know? And if... If you, if you still don't believe, at least, you know, at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I mean, that should show you something. That this is beyond me just being a human being. And I tell you, for me, the, the takeaway in this part is that um, I, I'm just someone, I have a lot of doubts. And, and they, there's part of just who I am, I think, because I'm, I'm skeptical a lot of times, and I doubt, and I wonder, and, and I question a lot of things. And so what I love about this is, Jesus is clearly, you know, frustrated and disappointment, disappointed. And, you know, there's a lot of doubt in the room. And Jesus is, even though he's, he's a little bit frustrated, he's still, he's trying to reason with his disciples. And he's trying to help them. He's trying to help them. Do you see that? He's trying to help them to get to believe. Because it's very hard to come to a place of belief, I think. At least for me, it is. And so he's saying, look, you know, think about it. Think about all those miracles. Come on, Philip. Like, think reasonably. Try, you know, try and get your mind wrapped around this. Jesus is okay with our doubt. That's the point. He, I mean, he's frustrated with Philip, but he's not like, oh, Philip, just shut up and sit down. You know, you're not never going to get this. He, he's trying to help Philip out. You know, the other picture of Jesus that, that uh, I love when it comes to our doubt is, you know, there's one of his disciples, Thomas, who after Jesus died and then uh, resurrected and appeared to many of his followers, um, he appears to Thomas, and Thomas is so skeptical. He's like, I'm not going to believe it, and like, I've got to see this for myself. And Jesus comes up to Thomas, and he goes, I want you to actually touch the, the nail holes in my wrists. You know, basically, he's, he's, he's saying, I'm okay with your doubt. I understand. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to help you here. That is just great for me. Maybe you're here and, and you struggle with a lot of doubt or skepticism. And I just want you to know that God's okay with that. You know, God's okay. God's a pretty secure being. You know, we're pretty insecure. God's pretty secure in, 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 in who God is. All right. 
Um, I want to go back to uh, I want to go back to verse nine for a second because for me this is really the, the crux of the passage for all of us who are here, ninety two percent of us, right, who are here in this country, and we believe in God, some higher power, believe in God, but we have lots of questions about who God is. And in verse nine. Jesus says, as plainly as possible, okay, because Thomas is already asking him, like, what, what are you talking about? And, and he says, look, I'm just going to say it flat out. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What Jesus is saying there is he's basically like, you've seen me, you've seen God. I am God. We're interchangeable. Um. Becky and I, my wife, Becky and I, um, we have this little routine we do with our kids where um, after we read them stories at, at night and, and tuck them into bed, we sing them a song and then we say a prayer with them. And uh, so we've been doing that for, for quite some time. And we've been trying to encourage our two older ones, uh, Allison and Timmy, to, to try and get in the habit of trying to pray at least something themselves. So, you know, we'll say something like, okay, Allison, is there anything you want to thank God for? And it's usually like cupcakes or, you know, I mean, something awesome that a six-year-old kid would say. Um, and so we'll say, and then do you have anything that, you know, you want to ask God's help with? And so that's pretty simple, pretty basic kind of stuff. And we just let them do it. And so this is really funny because in the last, I would say within the last like maybe six weeks, uh, in the times that I, it was my turn to pray, and we pray with them individually, um, you know, they're in a little bed, and you're by the bedside, and, and so they would start the prayer. Both Allison and Timmy did this. Um, start the prayer, and they kind of, you know, close their eyes, and, and uh, although they said, Dad, you don't have to pray with your eyes closed. God can still hear you. Okay. But, um, you know, they close their eyes, and they start the prayer, and they go like this. Um, Dad? I mean, God? And, uh, you know, I can understand how they would make that, you know, mistake. I mean, it's very easy for them, you know, to just kind of mix up God and dad. You know, I mean, we pretty much right now, we're kind of on a level playing field, me and God in, in, in the house. Um, the thing that I can't understand is how come my wife, Becky, has never, you know, she never makes that same mistake, um, which is really interesting. But um, anyway, the point is, the point is, what Jesus is saying here is, look, you, you say my name, you say God's name. I mean, I am God. Okay? I am the Father. The Father is in me. I am in the Father. And, um, and so really the takeaway for us is that if you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, you know, I, I think I believe in God. I think I believe in something beyond myself. But like, I don't really know. God's up in the heavens somewhere. I don't really, you know, in terms of like what God is like or, you know, what God cares about or how God feels about me. Like, yeah, I don't, I'm not so sure that, I, that I've got all that worked out. Um, but the, the beautiful thing is, if, if for me, for me, as, as someone who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I don't have to wonder about that anymore. Because, you see, if you believe that Jesus is actually the Son of God, then the whole reason that Jesus came to this earth was basically God saying, look, there's been some confusion about who I am, there's been some misconceptions, and basically I'm coming down, I'm taking on human form, and I'm going to show you what I am like. I'm going to show you how I interact with humanity, and, um, and I'm just going to kind of clear things up for you. So um, 
the, the thing that I think is so cool is that, you know, whatever your big question is then about God, and we all have questions about who God is or the things that God cares about or how, feels about certain things, uh, you can find a lot of the answers to your questions or your struggles about who God is by looking at Jesus. Or maybe you can't get all the answers, but you can certainly find a lot of clues that will start to help you piece some things together. So, you know, I don't know what your big questions are about God or, or for God, but let me just give you a couple for me. Um, one of them is, is suffering. Uh, that's a question that, that you know, I'll, I'll wrestle with and struggle with about God, and then, and then kind of I'll get some things worked out, and then something will happen, and I'll watch the news or some big event will happen, and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm right back where I started from. And so kind of how it goes for me is I'm like, God, why is there so much suffering in the world? And how do, like, all these bad things happen to such good people? And, um, you know, like, are you still moving and working in the world? Or, like, why is, you know, like, I mean, are you kind of apathetic toward it? Are you taking a hands-off approach? I mean, these are the things that go through my mind from time to time. And, you know, when I, when I can stop and look at Jesus, um, that really helps me to get my mind wrapped around it. Not all the way. This is a huge issue that you're never going to fully get clarity on. But, um, but when I think about, okay, but let's look at Jesus and how, what was his response to human suffering? Uh, it's really helpful for me. So one of the stories that's just three chapters earlier in John, in John chapter 11, is, you know, Jesus has this friend, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and Lazarus dies. And Jesus comes, and, um, and there's just so much, you know, grief and there's, I mean, it's just this tremendous scene. And Jesus is so moved by it that what does he do? He is overwhelmed to the point of grief as well. And he, he weeps, he cries. And, um, and it just shows us how compassionate our God is. Um, if you think about Jesus in the Gospels and all the things that were recorded about him, he does all these miracles and teachings and all this it does all these great parables and stuff. But the thing that Jesus does more than anything else that's recorded in the scriptures is he's healing people who are sick, who are blind, who are lame. I mean, over and over, uh, Jesus Christ is moved to have compassion on his people. And so, you know, does that fully answer the whole question of suffering for me? No. But what it does tell me is that that God is moved and is, and is grieved by this suffering and that he is doing something about it, um, not always acting. And that, you know, that's where, that's where the, the questions come in. But it helps me to get some clues you know, to more about understanding who God is with respect to this issue. Another thing for me that um, is a struggle for me, is a question for me with God, is prayer. And you might probably not have heard a pastor uh, talking about struggling with prayer, but that's just one of my things. Um, you know, I go through these these periods where I'm like, okay, does God really is God really interested in hearing my prayers? I mean, is you know, is God is God really listening? Is God really caring about the micro level details of my life? Does God really want me to pray for me? You know, um, does God want me to pray for other people? And um, you know, again, it's hard if if all you've got is kind of like God just in the heavens somewhere. It's hard to get anywhere and trying to figure that out. But um, if you Again, if you have faith and you believe that, that uh, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then um, you get this tremendous picture from Jesus. And Jesus, over and over and over and over again in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's saying, here, you guys, you got to pray. 
You know, our Heavenly Father wants us to pray. Not just wants us to pray and ask, but He actually wants to grant our requests. And so over and over as you're reading, you start to, you know, you start to get a picture for, man, like, even if I don't fully feel it, even if I don't believe it, like, God wants us to pray. I don't understand exactly how it works, but man, that helps me so much when I'm struggling in my prayer life. And so, you know, those are just two examples. I don't know what the examples are for you, but one of the great benefits of believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is that we don't have to speculate about who God is anymore. So uh, what I, I kind of want to conclude this service is to just have you guys take a minute just to think about you and your relationship with God, your understanding of who God is. What things do you wonder about God? What are the things that you struggle to understand about God, about who God is? What is that for you? We all have questions. We all have struggles. Maybe, you know, they're not right on the surface, but if you, if you spend a little time reflecting, you'll come up with some different things. And um, basically, here's what I want to tell you. Is, um, I got a homework assignment for you this week. And the homework assignment uh, is, you know, maybe you're here and you've never read the Bible, or maybe you're here and you've read it and you're like, oh, I've already read those Gospels. Like, I know all the stories about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I've heard the miracles and I've heard the teachings and whatever. But whether you've read the Bible before or you haven't read the Bible before, uh, what I want to encourage you to do is read it kind of from a different perspective. Look at it through a different lens. Spend some time, first of all, just kind of thinking about who God is. Who do you understand God to be? What is God like? What kind of stuff does God care about? Who is God in your mind? What questions do you have? What struggles do you have? What things are still very unclear for you about God? And then, once you've done that, go to one of those gospel stories. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those narratives about Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. And read seeking to gain an understanding of those questions you have about God. I think it could be a really, really powerful experience if you would try that this week. Will you pray with me? God, um, we thank you, God, for the um, what it is you've put inside of us, God. We are truly spiritual beings. 92% of us, God, believe in you, um, regardless of whether we've grown up in church or a synagogue or a mosque or, you know, wherever, God, 92% of us just believe there's something in us, God. We thank you for that. Lord, um, help us, though, to get a clearer understanding of who exactly you are and how you feel about us and what you want us to do in life. Lord, we thank you that you weren't satisfied with kind of this, this 30,000 foot understanding of who you are, but you decided to take human form and to come to this earth to enlighten us, to show us the way, to show us how to live, to show us what you care about. God, um, there are many of us in this room who are as confused as the disciples in this story, John chapter 14 who are saying, 
This is not the way it was supposed to go down. You crucified for the sins of the world, the ultimate servant. It just doesn't make sense in many of our minds. Lord, we are desperate for the happy ending, for the good guys winning the day. But Lord, let us not forget that even though you died on that day, that you achieved the victory three days later, that you rose, that you overcame sin, and that you had an even bigger battle to take on than the Romans and some hypocritical leaders. But you were interested in the battle for our souls. That ultimately, God, we are set free. And there is coming a day. There is coming a day where you will return. And we will see that glorious moment, the victory. So, Lord, uh, we thank you. We praise you for all that you've done and what you're doing. And, uh, Lord, just help us all to take a step closer to you, to better understand you this week. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, guys, uh, this concludes our service. I just want to remind you, um, please, uh, there, you got that form about the house church meeting. You can drop that in the lobby and also grab a hot dog. And, um, you know, we got the canned food drive going on. So thank you all for, for being a part of that. God bless you.